This is Rumble, and I am Michael Moore. And to kick things off today, I want to tell you about something that's going to happen this Monday evening, Monday, March 1st, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to have a special live edition of Rumble. And the reason we're doing this is that sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours, uh, we are going to pass an historic threshold for this podcast, meaning we are going to experience our 25 millionth download of this podcast by you, the public. We've been doing this for just a little over a year now. I guess, well, it's about, it's a year and, yeah, a year and two months since we started Rumble. And in this time, we are coming up in just a, there's probably just a couple hundred more downloads here as we watch the ticker roll over here before we hit 25 million downloads by members of the public of this podcast. This is so stunning and shocking to us. Uh, The people we had consulted, the people that we were, we were trying to get this going a year ago told us you'll be lucky if you get a million of these, a million downloads in your first year. And uh, we thought, wow, (laughs) a million, that'd be incredible. I don't know what we thought. We'd be happy with a hundred thousand. The fact that we hit a million after our first, I don't know, what was it, Basil? It was like 14 days, 15 days. We had a million already. That was going to supposed to take a year. And it just kept, it just kept building and building. And, and so here we are ready uh, to hit 25 million downloads. And we thought we should do something to celebrate. So what we're going to do on Monday evening, this coming Monday evening, March 1st, we are going to have a special edition of Rumble. It will be live. It'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to have some surprise guests visit us live. They will include Roger Waters with us. He's going to drop in Roger Waters of Pink Floyd, one of the great rock and roll writers, musicians of all time. He's going to stop by. He and others who are going to join us on Monday are people that that have been guests on on Rumble. And so when we told them about the 25 million mark coming up here, they were all happy to to come and drop by. So Roger Waters, Daniel Ellsberg, the great Daniel Ellsberg, who took the Pentagon Papers and, and got them released in the press that told the truth about Vietnam all those years ago. Now a young man in his 80s, um, he will join us. Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader will be with us. Um, I just actually just want to personally thank him for seatbelts and airbags saved somebody's life last week, right? Anand Girdadas will be with us. Katie Halper is going to be with us. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib uh, will join us on this live podcast. So there's a there's just there's a whole good uh, group of people here that will be joining us, and of course we'll post this as an episode of Rumble uh, right away. So you know later on Monday night you'll be able to hear this on your favorite podcast platform wherever you are listening to us right now. You'll be able to hear it as episode one sixty nine. So on Monday night you come back to the description of this episode that you see here on your podcast on the on the page that you're listening to this on and 
in this description will be the link that will take you to my YouTube channel. And on the YouTube channel, you can watch this podcast live on Monday night. Well, it's been three days since I got my second Pfizer shot. And I'm still alive. I'm still here. My hair hasn't turned white. My teeth haven't gone purple. And for some strange reason, I think I'm going to live. Let me tell you how I how I got here. Um, as you know, if you've been a longtime listener to Rumble, I happen to be in New York City when the pandemic began and when the city and the country essentially went into that first lockdown and planes weren't flying and things like that. Uh, I was here in New York working on a project and decided, uh, well, I'm not going to get on a plane, so I'm going to, I'll just hunker down here. You know, I got an apartment here in New York, got an apartment where I live in Michigan. That's, you know, I wasn't going to get on a plane, so um, I'll stay here. Now, if you'd asked me at the time, how long did I think I was going to be quarantined in my apartment, I probably would have guessed uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe a month or two. Um, it wasn't that I was listening to Trump and making my Easter parade plans. Um, you know, when he said that this would all be gone by Easter, uh, cause it was pretty, pretty clear to me very early on, especially talking to my own sources in the NIH and, um, other doctors and people at Harvard and elsewhere, uh, that, that we were in for the, the long haul. And very early on, back when we didn't know Trump was talking to Bob Woodward and telling him that this was airborne and it was a plague, these are Trump's words, he knew this back last March and April. But I was also being told that this was going to be a three to four year pandemic. Uh, one doctor said to me, I think we'll be wearing masks for the rest of our lives. Uh, this was unlike anything else that we had encountered. And on and on. I mean, this was, and I shared a lot of this with you here in the early months. And I, and I had on various doctors and scientists and health journalists, and they said things on this podcast uh, where they felt uh, free, I think, to say things that maybe they couldn't quite say on other networks or news agencies or whatever. I remember even early on when I was on various. TV shows and being told by a, a producer, because I'd use the word airborne, and uh, she said to me later that it's best not to use that word. I said, well, why is that? Because isn't that how we get it? It's the droplets go in the air. Yeah, but when you say it's airborne, it really makes it sound like it's everywhere. Now, this again, this was early on before it actually was everywhere, but uh, you know, I just kept using the word anyways, because it's that's really the situation. Um, well, I hunkered down in my New York apartment, as I've told you over these many, many months, an apartment that sits on top of a movie theater, which was closed down. All the theaters were closed down five days into the pandemic, uh, or at least into the lockdown. And that was a real bummer, not being able to go downstairs to see a movie. So but that's okay. I, I thought, well, you know, 
Now I'm, I'm single. I, I live alone. Uh, it's just me here in the apartment. Um, so, uh, fortunately I don't, you know, have children that are children are raised and I don't have to, you know, I should say child. No, there's not, there's not multiple children. Um, you know, other people have, have had to try to help their kids with all this schoolwork. Uh, it's just, I don't know how they've done it. Uh, but I didn't have to worry about that. I didn't have uh, anybody to get into an argument with or fight or whatever. It was just, uh, just me. And, uh, but I, I obeyed the rules. Um, I did not leave the building. I would leave the apartment uh, to go downstairs maybe to get uh, a food delivery or, you know, things like that. Uh, uh, Amazon or FedEx or whatever. But, um, but I stayed in the building. This is day 353 today that I've been in this building. And I've left, well, I've left twice. Once for shot number one and once for shot number two. There was a, a problem a couple of months ago with a tooth that got infected. I did have to, on a Saturday, try to find an oral surgeon and go and do that. And in these, well, I guess, three times that I've left the apartment, I have been very careful, double masking, carry my hand sanitizer, carry some uh, Clorox wipes, uh, carry the uh, gloves, I wear goggles to protect the eyeballs from anything that might just wander into them. Uh, so I'm, you know, very, very careful. Um, have not had people over, no parties, nothing uh, in the apartment. Um, I've not seen my friends, my close friends, um, for essentially a year now. And some of them longer because I, I didn't, I maybe had seen them in the holidays back in 2019. But I have had literally minimal or no human contact. That's it. Now, I mean, friends and family call. Even my doctors call just to check in on me to see if my mental state. And they've all declared me sane. Nothing to worry about. I seem to be handling it pretty well. I'm, I'm really lucky I've got this patio. I'm really lucky because I have kept up my walking and I go out there and I walk back and forth. I must look like a madman to the people across the street. Um, but I walk uh, back and forth and back and forth and I've got my tunes in my, in my earbuds and uh, I, uh, you know, I have moved around do a little uh, uh, bench pressing against the wall, try to get some strength <laughs> some strength training going, get a lot of fresh air. They, they open the door and the windows and everything and just let the fresh air come in. But I got to tell you, you know, I still get calls. You okay? You okay? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm really, I'm good. And I don't want to make it sound like, because so many people have suffered, have gotten sick, have spent weeks in the hospital, have died. The people that I know that have died, people either that I knew or were friends or I had worked with, well, I need, I need both hands to count each of them. That's too many in a year to have 10 people die that uh, 
you care about. And then people that I haven't been in touch with for years have died. People I've been meaning to call during this pandemic. And as I've told you before, I've, I've started a little list of the people that were essentially my parents' age when my parents were alive. And if they're alive now, they're in their 80s and 90s um, or even older, really. Um, and so I, I've started calling some of the elderly people. And I've been quite lucky uh, that they've been alive and, and I've had nice conversations with them. But for me personally, I mean, let me just, this is, uh, I think you can understand this, that, you know, I've been a filmmaker here for now. This would be, what is this, uh, 2021? So, yeah, it's, oh, geez, 32 years. Oh. It's funny, though, like my first, my first film didn't come out until I was 35. So I wasn't, because I didn't go to film school, so I didn't have like a film school film, you know, so it's, 35 when Roger and me came out. So I've, I've, you know, for three decades, let's just say there's been a lot of noise in my life because obviously it wasn't just the films. It was the fact that I was politically motivated, involved, um, fighting for lots of things over these three decades. Um, you know, I finished that first film in the, in the, it was really the last year, last half year of Ronald Reagan's second term. And then it came out when Bush the first um, was president. So, so that's 30 years of a lot of, you know, being the poster, poster boy for Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, the right, the nonstop hate, nonstop threats, nonstop, all that stuff over and over and over again. And fighting and fighting and fighting. And even this year, knowing that we all had this fight to get rid of Trump. Even if we were in lockdown, we found ways to contribute to get rid of Trump. So I have to say, to be honest, I've had a year of no noise in my, in my life, you know, personally. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed the quiet. It's, um, I've needed it. Badly. I didn't realize how badly I needed it. And it's, um, it's done me, it's done me well this year. You know, I don't want to like get too, I'm not that happy about this year. I'm, I still grieve the loss of people I know that have died. I miss my life. I miss my family and friends. I don't know when we're going to see each other again. That's a horrible feeling. But personally and privately, I have had some sort of restoration because I've had the peace and quiet. Um, and if the haters are going to hate, they just hate on Twitter. Anybody can survive that. But it's it's just been good for me to just to have, even though I've. During this year, I've done almost 170 episodes of this podcast, even though I executive produced and helped uh, to distribute my friend Jeff Gibbs, his film, Planet of the Humans, did that uh, this year. I was very involved not only in the removal of Trump, but a whole lot of other local 
people that were running for office that I helped in my own ways. And, and then, of course, uh, at the beginning of last year, going around the country with Bernie, uh, my sister and uh, myself and uh, Basil here, executive producer of our show and my friend, we uh, traveled up and down and all around Iowa, uh, then New Hampshire. And after those two states, and we, we came back, each of us went back to you know our homes, and um, we all got sick. We were all like, felt like we had the flu or a cold, or in my case, I had a fever for three days. And again, this is, we're talking about the first week of February last year. So we didn't really know. I mean, we, we knew there was something going on out there, but we didn't know really. We didn't even know what Trump knew. Trump knew. We didn't know. Now, the three of us, my sister, myself, and Basil, we've talked about this in this last year because by the time we actually went to get tested for any antibodies, which was in the summer, the doctor said that it was probably too, too late to detect it by then. But we all have this kind of, kind of feeling that we might have, we might have contracted COVID. Let's just say I, I shook at least 10,000 hands <laughs> over a three week period. I'm, I'm I'm being a little facetious, but not really that much. It's, it's pretty close. I mean, I was I was very close to the the throngs of people that came out for Bernie during those months, those, uh, that month or so. And um, so I think we all kind of felt like maybe we'd had we'd had COVID already, and maybe that's why you know we hadn't gotten it for the rest of the year. Um, but I um. You know, I paid attention to what we were being told, that if you were over the age of 50 or 55, you were at greater risk. Well, I was over that age. Uh, if you were a man, it seemed like back then 60% of the people getting this were men and 40% were women. We, we learned, although I think people knew this very early on, that black and Hispanic people were actually the ones getting hit the hardest with this. So either I had it and it was gone or I got lucky or I just did the right thing because I literally had no, and I mean, no contact with people. Uh, I kept to myself. And when people had to come, if there was a delivery or somebody had to do something, you know, I've, you know, I had plumbing breakdowns in the apartment here a couple of times, you know, people have to come in, but when, Somebody had to come in, you know, I just left the door open for them and I hightailed it, you know, to the back bedroom, locked the door <laughs> and it locked the door, I shut the door tight. So I got to that point where I was okay. And then finally we had a vaccine. And just like many of you, I was not going to trust that right out of the gate. Not because I'm, I'm an anti-vaxxer. I am not. I believe in vaccines. I had, I've had them uh, since, uh, well, actually the, the, the first Dr. Salk polio vaccines that occurred in Pittsburgh in 1954, in the month I was born, where these were the first polio vaccines. So I know, so I'm I believe in vaccines absolutely. I don't believe in Trump, and when Trump was pushing this vaccine and pushing and pushing and trying to rush it because he was hoping to have it before the election so it could get him reelected. Well, like you, right? We were all like, yeah, mm-hmm. But then you know. I listened to the doctors and I listened to the scientists and they told me how actually they've been working on coronavirus vaccines for many, many years. This just didn't start 
a few months ago. They knew this was coming in some form, and so they were already more than halfway down the road getting ready for when this day would come. I also found it somewhat heartening that Pfizer made the decision at the beginning of this to uh, develop the vaccine with their own money. They did not want to take Trump money. And what I heard from people involved or tangentially involved with it is that they didn't want, they wanted people to trust the vaccine when it came out. They didn't want people to think this was Trump's doing, that Trump was rushing this through, rushing them to get it done. So they took, no, Moderna take, took the federal money. You know, I don't know how many billions. Uh, Pfizer said, we don't want to be connected to Trump or his money. Okay. Nonetheless, don't worry about Pfizer because for every shot uh, that's given, they're making, <laughs> they're making the bucks. So it's a, don't, don't feel bad for them. So I don't want to say that I was going to wait and see what happened to the first week's worth of people, but I think we were all sort of like, oh no, well, it wouldn't have mattered anyways, because I'm not old enough to have been in that, you know, first or, or second group that's, that started in uh, mid-December when they started giving out the first vaccinations. So I waited and then it came time for my age group and for people who have pre-existing conditions which, you know, I think, you know, you've seen me. I'm, I'm a walking pre-existing condition. But even then, I, I just sort of, you know, I said, well, how am I going to get coronavirus? I literally have no contact with human beings. And I've got the windows open. And I've taken care of myself to the extent that I can. But then, you know, a few weeks went by and a few more weeks went by. And I, and then people were, I started to hear from friends and family who had gone and got the first dose. And then the second dose. And when I started seeing these second dose people, I thought, hmm, you know what? Uh, I shouldn't put this off any longer. And in fact, I, I think um, I have a responsibility here to, um, to people who need to see me doing this, you know, if it helps. And so I started to try to get these appointments on the phone, as many of you have tried to do or online. And I got called by, I got two, um, two appointments. First one was in the Bronx and I was like, well, no, I'm not going to do that because I'd already read all the news reports on how, you know, New York city is a city that where white people are the minority. I don't know. There's like 32% of New York is white is white. And, and, you know, almost 60% is not. And, and, even though whites were like 32% of the, the city, they were getting something like 60% of the shots. And like 5% were going to African-Americans, even though they make up almost you know, a third of the city. Same thing with Hispanics, who make up another almost third of the city, Hispanics and Asians and others. It's a very diverse city. White people are the minority, and yet they were getting the majority of the shots. So the second call that came in came in to, for me to show up eight in the morning at a place in Brooklyn. And I thought, no, mm -mm, not right. Won't do it. And I'm not making a judgment on anybody that went and, went and got their shot in the Bronx, you know, or in a black neighborhood. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. You do what you do. But I, I, um, people are afraid of dying and they have every reason and they know their own bodies better than anybody else. And so I don't make a judgment. But for me personally, I knew I was okay. I knew 
that I could wait until um, something opened up uh, in uh, Manhattan. And when it didn't, I got lucky because the snowstorm happened. This is back around the very end of uh, January, beginning of February, first few days. It was like a five-day storm. It was a lot like a long snowstorm. And in New York, you know, they, they do their best, but they, you know, they're not from Michigan. They're not from Canada. So they don't know. They can't handle it as well as we do. In this, we're used to it. So I started hearing on, after the first day or two of the storm that there were um, the vaccination centers. They tried, they tried to stay open. And a lot of people were missing their appointments. And so they had to throw these doses away. I learned that the, the doses, it works, you know, it's in those super freezers. They store them there. And the dose, once they bring it into the vaccination rooms or whatever, they, they can only be in room temperature for six hours. And then they're no good after that. And you can't refreeze them. So, uh, so I started hearing about how they didn't want to throw these doses away and that anybody who showed up, who just showed up at the end of the day, uh, if there were any doses left over, they got them. And I, I heard uh, two or three people in my apartment building, they got vaccinated this way. And, you know, it's a bit of a risk. It's a hassle. You're going out, slip sliding away in the snow and the ice, and there may not be any there. And that's just the way it's got to go. So, uh, so with that in mind and realizing that chance of rejection was fairly high. I, um, I started scoping this out and I went to a place at, and I got there like an hour before it closed, before they were going to close up. And they, and right away the people at the counter said, no, the doses are all gone. They're all used up for today. I said, okay, well, I'm here now. Would it be okay if I just waited in the lobby till closing time till like, which is in an hour from now, I'll just, I'll just wait and just maybe just call. We'll just see if, if anything in this last hour you know, happened. And they said, okay, sure. And um, so I waited. And sure enough, uh, by the end of that hour, they had two doses left, People, two doses of people that did not show up for their appointments. And I don't think I was the only one in the, the lobby that had figured this out or had heard this urban myth, which was not a myth, but an actual truth that uh, they don't want to throw these things out, but they have to. And uh, if you're there, you know, you're there. Um, I know some of you are probably thinking, okay, Mike, seriously, come on. There must be a certain celebrity vaccination place, right? For you filmmaker types, you know, you people on TV, you've got to come on. I have to tell you something from the people I know that are in this business, the movie and uh, TV business, people I've spoken to on the phone. No, I've heard of not a single person getting any kind of treatment, special treatment. No doctors, no nurses come to the house. There's no special room. There's no special door. In fact, I have listened to, especially my LA friends in the business, to get in the car and go to Dodger Stadium and then wait in the long line in the car for two or three hours, just like everybody else. The socialism of this shot, by the way, is amazing in that way. First of all, uh, the the it it the people that you would think would be given the head of the line don't get the head of the line. And secondly, it's when you go to get the shot. It what's so amazing is you don't take out your wallet. There's no copay. There's no deductible. You don't have to show your insurance card. You don't have to have insurance. 
You just have to be a human being with an arm that they can put the needle in. They charge nothing there for it. It's, it's, think of anything in your life, if you're an American, where you've gotten any kind of medical help and you haven't had to show an insurance card, whip out the wallet, get a bill, call your union (laughs) to see what's wrong. Nothing. Nothing. You go. They ask you two questions, three questions. Have you had a fever in the last week? They take your temperature. Um, Have you um, left the country in the last week? And have you had any other vaccine in the last week? That's it. That's it. Roll your your sleeve up. Boom. They give you a little card. They put your name and card, name and your birthday. And then they put the date, which in the Pfizer case is three weeks after that shot. And they put the date and the time, the same exact time. So it was like the, so at the end of the day on February 23rd, I was to come back and my shot would be there. And I said, well, doesn't, didn't de Blasio say that they were going to start giving these second shots away as first shots because they needed more first shots? And I said, yeah, no, no, no. We locked this in. Your shot is locked into the freezer once you've got that first shot. So, oh, wow. So just come back. Do I need to bring anything? No. Well, bring this card. That's it. Wow, I left there that night. I mean, it uh, whew, took more than an hour to get back on the road. The streets were so, whew, wow. But, you know, I got lucky and I was patient. And when they brought me in to the room, I was given Nurse Hurt as my vaccinator. That was her last name, Hurt, H-U-R-T. I'm not making this up. Nurse Hurt had me roll up my sleeve. She gave me the shot. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything afterwards. I didn't feel anything the next day. Nothing. Um, I talked to her a little bit about how's it been going, people coming in. Are they worried? Are they nervous? Et cetera. It was, it was a good conversation. And as I was leaving, one of the other, one of the nurses pulls me aside and she's got tears in her eyes. And, uh, you know, she saw me and, who I was, and she said, I've seen you during this on TV. I've heard you, and not many people are telling it straight to the public, and you have been doing that. I said, well, in what, in what way have I, have I, what have I said that has given you that feeling? I mean, I think I have, I think I've been trying to be as straight as I can. She said, um, You've been telling people that this isn't going to be over with anytime soon. And I know nobody wants to hear it, and I know you don't want to say it. And then she says, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and um, and she's like, just hangs her head. She said, this is not going to be over with soon. I said, no, I know, I know. That's what I've been told by people that I trust. I said, but don't you agree that if we did pull all of our fellow Americans together and got everybody to wear a mask, double mask, you know, if we got everybody vaccinated, if we just kept our distance for just a little bit longer, she said, well, yes, of course, but that's, you're not describing the country that we live in. It's how 
All great empires fall, isn't it? Through their own recklessness and stupidity, the arrogant belief that they're number one, they can't be touched. This Reich will live for another 3,000 years. I just said, just hang in there. You know, I'll do what I can do. You do what you can do. But I came home that night, and uh, while I was so grateful that I had shot number one, and again, they verified I was in the right age group, and they were able to pull up my doctor records, hospital records. They could see that the pre-existing conditions, even if they couldn't visually do it, if they couldn't do a visual on it there in the room, they saw that uh, I was overqualified to get the shot. And if anything, the question was, what took you so long? You know, you could have, you could have come in here a month ago. Yeah. Okay. I didn't feel good about that because yeah, probably should have. So I knew I had three weeks then before the second shot. And that second shot was on Tuesday. And so I showed back up at the appointed time. Punched a few things in on the screen. They have like one of these iPad type screens where they look up your information. They brought me in to a new nurse, Nurse Castro. I don't know if that's a graduation to go from Nurse Hurt to Nurse Castro or would, had I gone in reverse, I'm not quite sure, but um, it really started to feel like I was in the sequel to Catch-22 with all the great names of the doctors and nurses and everybody else there in that novel. But... Um, she gave me a little kind of a preparatory talk about now the second shot, you may, it may not be as easy as the first. You may feel nauseous. You may get a fever, aches and pains, things like that. Don't, don't worry about it. It'll go away in a day or two. I said, okay, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, let's, let's do it. And, uh, and I handed my camera to somebody there and uh, asked them if they would just take a picture of this. And they did. So I have a picture from my first shot, and I have a picture my second shot. Nurse Hurt three weeks ago, and Nurse Castro uh, this week. I'll post them here. On, um, I'll figure out a way to post them on the podcast site or uh, put them somewhere so you can see me getting my vaccinations. So I'm fully vaccinated now, and I am here to tell you that after three days, I'm not sore. I'm not in any pain. I'm not nauseous. I'm not sick at all. And uh, easy peasy. The last thing that this nurse said to me on Tuesday was, please share this. Um, I said, no, I will. I will. I will tell people on my podcast. I'll put it on my social media. Uh, she says, we need everybody to get vaccinated. This isn't going to stop. I know. I know. And you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be everybody, but it's we got to get up to 70 or 80% here, folks. And Already, when they do these polls, only 60 to 65% of the country is saying that they're going to get vaccinated. That's not good enough. Now, just because I've had the second shot doesn't mean I'm, quote, fully vaccinated. Because you have to give the shot, they say three weeks before it takes full effect after the second shot. So for me, just because there's there's more uh, landmass for the shot to make its way. It takes a little longer to get from the North Pole to the South Pole in me. So I'm giving it four weeks. 
four weeks from February 23rd, which means my liberation day is March 23rd, 2021. I will be fully secure and shielded from the evil coronavirus. Well, okay, they say it's 94% effective. There's a 6% chance I could still get it. But um, I really, I just need a date. Don't, don't we all need that date? When can I have my life back? I know I'm not going to get my life back on March 23rd, but I decided that I'm going to do something on March 23rd. I don't know what it is yet. It may just be, I'm going to just get away from this apartment building and go for a walk and go lose myself in the park. Because you can get lost in the, in the park if the park's big enough. That's one idea I've got. I've made a little list of ideas of what once liberated. Because the, the key to this is, is that you really should only be around other people who have also gone through the two shots, one shot, once the Johnson & Johnson thing happens. You've gone through the two shots and you've had three to four weeks after that second shot. Then those the, these are your new friends. <laughs> Of course, that means most of my friends then will have to be older uh, because I think by them we're, what are we in now? The over, are we at the over 55? Uh, you know, my friends who are in their 30s and 40s, probably not safe for them, maybe. I don't know. So get lost in the park. That sounds like fun. Maybe I'll stop inside a, a church someplace along the way there, just to sit in the back pew for a few minutes, offer up some thanks, remember those who didn't make it, and to make a decision to do something that's really going to help those who are still suffering. I don't know what that is. There's lots of possibilities of things to do. I'd like to go visit somebody, maybe somebody I've never visited, Somebody I've always wanted to have a conversation with. During the pandemic, I read that the artist Jasper Johns is still alive, still painting, just lives up the road here, out of the city. I wonder if he would just take a call from me. Can I come by? I'm vaccinated. I'm still wearing masks. I want to go watch a basketball game. I want to go to Michigan. I want to drive there. I want to drive through Canada. The borders are still closed. Maybe if they see it's me, the Canadians think I'm Canadian. They'll just wave me through. I need a car. I don't have a car. Last time I bought a car was 19 years ago. It's a van. I still have it. It's in Michigan. It's 19 years old. I want to go home. I want to see my daughter and her husband and the grandchild. I'd love to see my sisters out in California. My nieces out on the West Coast. My cousin down in Maryland. I could just keep driving. I'd like to walk into a store. I need some clothes. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one here, right? I want to buy a pair of sneakers. I want them to be yellow. I need yellow sneakers. 
I want to walk into a bookstore and only leave when my feet are tired of standing there, going through shelf after shelf and looking at books. I want to go and see the things in New York that I've never seen. I still don't feel like I'm a real, I'm not a New Yorker, but I'm like, all this time I've spent here and I've never gone to certain things. and I've never been to the top of that building or gone and had dinner there or whatever. It's just, I want to appreciate New York a little more than I have in the past. I want to get on a plane and go anywhere, anywhere warm, anywhere with people. I just want to get away from this just for a bit. I'd love to go to London or Dublin for a long weekend. Just go to as many plays as I can during that weekend. I need the arts to revive my soul. And in doing so, I need to start filming what I was working on, what I was hoping to do a year or so ago. It's time to do that. I love this podcast. It's been not just a lifesaver. It's been a whole bunch of lifesavers. I've been able to throw a lot of life-saving equipment out there during this year, talking to you, encouraging you to do this, that, or whatever, me doing it with you. Man, that's been exciting. And I now see a number of ways to use Rumble to make this country a better place, to get work done. I've got a lot of ideas. I know I told you they're New Year's. I'm going to share this with you at some point. I've been working on them, and that point's going to come, hopefully, pretty soon. There's some good work to do, and there's some good trouble to cause. Hmm. March 23rd, Mike's Liberation Day. I can't wait. And you know how I had that idea last year about how the U.S. Postal Service, in order to save it from this crazy guy that's taking it over, get rid of him, and we make sure all the postal workers keep their jobs, and we give them new jobs to do. They're not just deliverers of junk mail. My, If you remember, my idea last year was to, every Friday, they would deliver two joints to everyone's mailbox. Free government marijuana. For the weekend. This this idea, you know, if you know me, if you've known me for years, you know that I've yet to use it. <laughs> so I cannot get to the end of my life here and not have tried marijuana. Please, somebody help me with this. Um, I just haven't gotten around to it. It's really, there's no other reason. As I've explained before, I just ate my first tomato like six or seven years ago. It, with me in life, things some, some things just take longer than they should. So forgive me for that. But I, I just, see, I'm, I'm excited about whatever is in front of us. I don't want to go back to the old normal. I want the new normal. I want you and I to create that. And I want the U.S. Postal Service, forget about the joints. I want them every week to deliver an envelope. Doesn't have to be a big envelope, just an envelope from the government. You know, it's the only daily contact we have with our government. Every single citizen is met by a representative of the United States government every day, six days of the week. And that's called your mailwoman or mailman. 
they have a whole system set up where they can deliver masks to us. I know Biden has talked about getting 25 million masks out there. No, there's 330 million of us. And they're disposable masks. So we need, we need every, every house has to have like three to five masks delivered to it every week. We can do this. Can't cost that much. The masks are critical to getting rid of this virus. But I digress from my, my, my potential happiness here a month from now when I'm outside this building, when I'm back in the world. Don't worry, I'm not going to get sick. I will be very careful. The mask will be on. Both masks will be on. Um, but, but I, like you, want to live and be with people and feel the joy of this life. And it's mostly joy. Yes, we get the shit kicked out of us every now and then. But what we can create, that joy that we can create, it's there and it's waiting. And for me, I think, I believe, it's just outside the doors of this New York City apartment building. Thanks for listening to this. Get vaccinated as soon as you can. If you're an essential worker, you may not even know you're on the essential worker list. Find that out. Regardless of your age, you, you might be able to get vaccinated right now. If you have any pre-existing condition that would qualify you to get vaccinated, get vaccinated now. Biden went to the factory in Kalamazoo, Michigan to make it plain and clear to them. They better friggin' speed up the doses. Get these things done now. And it's happening. More and more doses are getting out there. The system, the crazy system of trying to make an appointment, it's straightening itself out. Get creative yourself. Don't jump the line. Don't get vaccinated before other people. And make sure that our black and brown brothers and sisters, wherever you live, are getting there in the line. Help them to the head of the line. It's what they deserve. Don't take their spots. I know you're afraid. We're going to make it. You just put your mask on. Stay away from people. You can do that for a few more weeks. Come on. But please get vaccinated. And join me on your Liberation Day. Rate me. Tell me about it. I want to hear from you. And I'll keep you guys posted too. We're going to just take a break here. I want to come back and talk about some serious things that are happening here in the next 48 to 72 hours in our nation's capital that we need to pay attention to. Before we go any further, I uh, just want to thank our underwriter for today's episode, Apple Original Films and uh, A24. Uh, which is a, a wonderful independent studio and distributor and their outstanding documentary feature that they have out right now called Boys State. Both A24 and Apple have been forces uh, for good. They support excellent films, including nonfiction films, and they're now backing uh, this wonderful movie that I urge you all 
uh, to see it's called again, Boys State. It was directed and produced by Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss, and it tells the story of an annual endeavor by the American Legion in Texas and in states all across the country where they bring 17-year-old boys and girls, they go to girls' state, uh, to the state capitol to learn how to run for office and possibly be elected politicians someday. So this movie, this particular movie, Boys State, what the filmmakers do is they follow uh, a number of these uh, young uh, men, boys, 17-year-olds around during this week that they're learning to play government in the Texas state capitol in Austin. And some of them run for office. Uh, some of them are party leaders, whatever. It's, it's a fascinating look in 2021 uh, in terms of how our future politicians are being groomed. Now, those of you who've read my book, um, Here Comes Trouble, uh, or if you came to my Broadway show, you already know my Boy State story, because I went to Boy State after my junior year in high school, and I uh, got sent there by my high school uh, to play government in the state capital of Michigan, in Lansing. I won't tell that story now, but if you've read the book, you know the story already. So I was really happy when I saw that this film had been made. And then when I saw the film, I was even happier. It's a funny, entertaining, and at times a raucous movie. In some weird way, it's both a cautionary tale about the future, should any of these young men run for office, but it's also a feel-good movie, too, for these difficult times in, in which we live. It's, it's, that, it's that sweet spot, you know, when a documentary can pull that off, where it's funny, it's serious, it's shocking. At times you tear up. It's like, wow, that's uh, these are good filmmakers. It won the Grand Jury Prize for Documentary, in fact, last year at the Sundance Film Festival and has received a whole bunch of accolades and awards uh, since then, including, just a couple of weeks ago, making uh, the shortlist for this year's Academy Awards, voted on by members of the documentary branch, which I'm a part of. It's also on... Uh, the list of my fellow podcaster and uh, documentary film producer, Barack uh, Obama. And it's true. You know how he puts that list out every year of his favorite records and movies and all that boy state was on it. So anyways, my friends, I want to urge you all, first of all, to watch this film. You can watch it on Apple TV plus, and uh, I'll have a link to it uh, in the description page of this podcast. And I want to thank Apple Original Films and A24 for their support, uh, supporting this podcast, supporting my voice, and supporting filmmakers like Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss and their excellent film, Boy State. And we have another underwriter for this episode uh, today. I just want to give them a, a shout out and thank them. And that underwriter is Gabby, G-A-B-I. Of course, Everyone's looking for ways to save a few extra bucks these days, right? How'd you like to keep an extra $961 a year in your pocket? Because that's how much Gabby customers save per year, on average, on their car and home insurance. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples -apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. All you have to do is link your current insurance account and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. And I can tell you from personal experience, friends, 
people listening to this podcast who've written to me and told me how much they've saved and how fast and easy it was to use. So I always love hearing that and love the fact that my underwriters are trying to do some good here and, and, and helping out the people not only listening to the show, but you know, throughout the country. So anyways, $961, that's the average uh, that people save when they turn to Gabby here for help. Gabby is not an insurance company. They're, they're like Travago, you know, Travelocity. Uh, they're looking for the best deal for you. And then they'll tell you what it is. And you don't pay them anything. They collect from the insurance companies. Oh, and here's the good part too. Uh, they will never sell your information. So there's no annoying spam attached to this. You're not going to get any robocalls. So if you want to find out how much Gabby can save you, it's totally free. Like I said, just check it out. No obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash rumble. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash rumble. Gabby.com slash rumble. On Thursday and Friday here of this week, Joe Biden did three things that I think gave many of us pause. And it gave many members of Congress pause, and they have rightly spoken out about it. And I want to speak to you about it just for a few minutes. The fact that he was willing to drop the increase to $15 an hour for the minimum wage that is so desperately needed by so many people to pull themselves out of poverty because the appointed parliamentarian, somebody who was never elected by anybody, just said, no, you can't do that with that with that other bill. The last time the minimum wage was raised over a decade or so ago, that's exactly how it got passed. They put it in the Defense Department bill. Nobody said then, oh, what's that got to do? What's minimum wage got to do with the defense of the country? Of course, it has everything to do with it, but you know, you and I know we're not pundits, are we? <laughs> no, this is this is so bad that this happened, and yet Nancy Pelosi went right ahead with the bill, and they're and it's as I'm recording this right now, they're supposed to be having a vote, and the House is going to vote that bill through with the minimum wage increase, even though they've been told by the Senate, and this is all because the filibuster is still in existence. Listen, let's get this straight: the minimum wage should be at least fifteen dollars an hour. In many states, that's not high enough. That's number one. And number two, the filibuster, that's got to go. Chuck Schumer, the Democrats, Biden, everybody has got to go back to the old way that it was. The way you remember it, right? If you're going to filibuster, which you have a right to do, you stand up and you start talking and you hold the floor for as long as you do. And when you drop, then they move on with the business and they pass the bill. All right? That, this is how it was always done. Now they do this weird preemptive thing. Well, if you don't have enough votes, because at any time during the filibuster, if 60 senators say that's the end of the filibuster, that is the end of it. You don't get to keep talking. So they got this weird number now that 60 is the new 51. This is so wrong. This has to go back to the old way. This is nothing about the Constitution. Democrats, stand up for this. I know some of you don't want to do this because you're thinking, well, someday, you know, we're going to. We might be out of power and we're going to need the filibuster to stop evil things from happening. 
Well, let's get busy and elect the right people and let's get rid of voter suppression. Let's get rid of gerrymandering. And then you won't have to worry about that because the majority of the country is already with you. 76% of the country in the latest poll today say they want this bill to pass. The entire COVID relief bill, including the minimum wage increase. 76, 60% of Republicans favor it. Why isn't this happening? This is, this is insanity. After all this hard work to get Biden in there, to take over the House, to take over the Senate, to get rid of Trump, we have a lot of work to do. We're not going to get a goddamn thing done if the Republicans can stop everything unless, unless we have 60 votes to make it happen. Let me tell you, you know how many things we're going to get 60 votes for with these traitors, these, these people who supported the insurrection, who, who voted to not count? The votes for Biden that were cast for him by the American people? You think we're going to get anywhere for the next two years? We're not going to go anywhere. Nothing's going to happen. End the filibuster now. 51 votes, that's called a majority. The majority rules. That's it. All of you listening to this, you need to call your senators and you need to insist that they get rid of the filibuster. They get rid of the 60-vote rule. And this minimum wage has to pass. Please, I ask you again to call your senators. This is the number. 202-224-3121. If it's busy, call 202-225-3121. Please do this. If you want to wait till Monday, fine. Switchboard is open 24-7, but most of the senators are in their offices by 9 at least their staff is, call and be heard, especially the office of Joe Manchin, Senator, Democratic Senator from West Virginia, and Kristen Cinema, the Senator from Arizona. They are the ones that want to vote with the Republicans. My God. <sighs> but that's not the only thing that happened in these 24 hours, these last 20. Joe Biden. Joe Biden bombed, ordered the bombing in Syria. 38 days on the job and we're bombing someplace. And he doesn't tell, he doesn't go to Congress for approval. The president cannot commit acts of war unless it's an emergency. And it wasn't. We weren't under attack. We, none of us were under threat. That was just wrong. And many, many members of Congress feel the same way, both Democrats and Republicans. Your voice needs to be heard on this. Need to call your representatives on this and say no acts of war without it being approved by the People's House. I'm so distressed by this. I don't care what the reasons are. The reasons may be right. I don't know. But first, we've got to start following the rules. Isn't that what we learned after four years of Trump? You don't just send in the bomber planes. Wasn't an emergency. This isn't how we're going to bring peace to the world. But just showing how we can, we can do it whenever we want to. No, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. And then finally, I was so proud that Biden released the report 
on the murder, the assassination of the Washington Post journalist, Khashoggi, killed, ordered killed by the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He went into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey. His fiancée waited out in the car for him. They grab him, they kill him, and they saw up his body, putting various body pieces into garbage bags that were dumped somewhere in some river or sea or whatever. They'll never know. But Biden, the Biden administration came out and said, he did it, the crown prince did it. He ordered it. He's the murderer. Wow. And then three or four hours later, in the Times, the Washington Post, it just, the Biden administration has decided not to punish the crown prince or Saudi Arabia for this murder because the relationship with the Saudis is too important. Too important? My friends, is this what we fought for these four years or longer? Is this, is this the America we want to live in? No. No. I'm not saying I want an eye for an eye here, but we're not going to just pretend this didn't happen. There needs to be, I mean, a hue and a cry about this from us. The Trump years are over. The America that we had even before Trump that just turned turned an eye or two the other way to recap. The filibuster has to end, and we need a $15 an hour minimum wage, period. Get angry. Be heard. The President of the United States does not have the authority to go to war. That authority is given to Congress only. Unless it's some emergency when we're under attack, that's the rule. We're going to follow the rules. We're going to show the other side how to behave. And then finally, the murder of this Washington Post columnist by the Saudi government must not be tolerated. Is everybody with me on this? Come on. Don't, don't worry about, oh, no, we got to give Biden a chance. We are, we are giving a chance. Well, we're happy he's there. That's not the point. I'll give you, I can give you a list of two dozen things he's done already that have just blown my mind. So happy. But our job is to make sure that he doesn't do the things he shouldn't be doing. We set the bar higher. He is there to serve us, and he needs to hear from us, his employers, that the minimum wage must go up, the filibuster must go. We are not to bomb other countries. And there must be justice for the murder of Mr. Khashoggi. We can do that, right? 202-224-3121. So that's it for Rumble today, my friends. Thank you uh, for joining me here. It's uh, You could say this about every week, but it's been quite a week. Thanks for letting me share all of that um, story about... Um, my 353-day lockdown and getting the two COVID shots, um, I encourage you, please, to to get them when you can officially get them. 
And finally, I just I want to re- remind everybody, we got a special treat coming up on Monday night, Monday, March 1st, this coming Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we are going to do a live version of Rumble with Michael Moore, and we are going to be doing it, uh, celebrating the day here that's coming up in the next day or so, where we will hit 25 million downloads of this podcast. 25 million downloads from the listing public in just a little over a year of rumble. Um, no one told us that this was even possible. In fact, we were, I think told it was impossible. So, so we want to have a little celebration. We're going to have some special guests on this episode on Monday night. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd will be joining us. Daniel Ellsberg, uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, we're also going to have the brilliant Anand Gerdaras, Katie Halper, and more. So go to my YouTube page. It's real easy to get to. You just go to youtube.com slash mmflint. And you can set a reminder for you right now for Monday night or go there on Monday night. Just go to Michael Moore's YouTube channel and you can watch the podcast live as we record it. This will be pretty cool. And we'll start the celebrating the beginning of the next 25 million downloads. I will see you Monday night. If for some reason you're busy Monday night, this will just air as our next podcast after this one. Uh, we'll have it up late Monday or Tuesday. And um, thank you for being part of this for this uh, first year or so. And, uh, and thank you for letting me uh, come into your, into your earbuds, into your speakers, however you're listening to me for uh, these last 14 months. I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, and it's, um, it's helped me too, as in ways I, as I expressed at the beginning here of this episode. So thank you. I'll see you Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on my YouTube channel. I'm Michael Moore, and this is Rumble. Rumble.